Congratulations, you found us. That's right. It's Telmont, our 70th episode, June 27th, 2020. Tony Skaggs, joined as always by my good friend and podcast partner, Jason with an I. Jason, are you wearing a mask right now? No, I'm not wearing a mask right now. Why would I be wearing a mask right now? I just want to make sure. I want to make sure that you're not going overboard with the mask. It's important to wear the mask appropriately, but I don't know if you want to send a message to everyone listening to the podcast because obviously they should be wearing a mask and you sh- when you go outside you interact with people wear a mask um but i don't know if you want to really hammer the point home you're going to wear a mask to do the podcast no i mean <laughs> i'm still dealing with that question but uh no i mean i guess everybody wear a mask when you're going out into any kind of situation where there are a lot of folks and you're indoors i think uh makes sense to wear a mask but uh, other than that i think i think you'll be fine without a mask <laughs> Yes. Well, that's the te- beautiful the part of technology that we're using here. If we were doing this podcast in person like we used to do, driving in my car, we might need to wear masks. But now, thankfully, technology, you can be all the way on the other side of the country, and uh, we don't have to wear masks, thankfully. thankfully. I do wonder, because you see the sentiment about, sentiment about people not wearing masks. Um, wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm just curious. How many times did we record in the car i totally forgot about that we had done that at some point oh yeah i would say the first you know maybe 10 episodes something like that of the town podcast you could go back and listen to it uh was the first one like recorded in the car well absolutely wow i i like i don't know if it's like a age thing or just a me thing like my memory is so hazy and clouded in general um or other things <laughs> but um i I actually really thought our first episode is probably the best episode we've ever recorded. It's always all been downhill since then. So I'm just really surprised we accomplished that in a car. You might be right. But then I would also say I wouldn't feel upset if you blacked out, you know, previous episodes of the Telma podcast because you don't want to remember them. I'd be okay with that too. Both, Both of those things are understandable. Yeah, I mean, I don't even remember what we talked about last week. I think I only remember the first episode because literally the first episode was like basically the what was like the, the day, week after that uh, Trump got elected president, I think that was about it. And I remember, I probably disagree with everything I probably said then, but I just remember feeling like it was a good episode. I'm just surprised that we pulled it off in a car. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, and the, the whole, this whole thing was born because you and I would just drive around in my car and chit chat uh, about, uh, you know, what was going on in the world, about <laughs> our lives. And, you know, as a result, we decided after the election, hey, maybe we should be putting these on record. As we're talking, sometimes we talk about things that are important or interesting. Um, yeah. Again, if you're listening, if you're 70 episodes in, you could be the judge of that. But that's what we thought we were doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's there's no chance someone's actually stuck out and listened to all 70 of them. I'm pretty sure me and you haven't even listened to all 70 of them. But. We, we haven't. The significant others haven't. Our parents uh, wouldn't, even if we told them about it. So uh, no one else is being held to those standards, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I didn't mean to derail you. It was just, it threw me off that we were in a car, man. Think about that. Think about like what our existence looks like. I mean, and that is a concept of like going, me and you, like, or going and driving in, you know, in a car around with somebody that you're not actually living with now just seems like the biggest house risk. You know, oh yeah. No, you can't do that now. We, you would be outlawed. Well, we would have to wear masks, like I said, but even if we did wear masks, it would, it would, you know, be unsavory to say the least. Yeah, I mean, well, 
I mean, we're going to dive into this. I mean, COVID is becoming a problem, an extreme problem. I mean, it's always been a problem as far as like, you know, since all of this uh, kind of started, I think uh, around the end of February into March. But um, here in Texas, I mean, it is starting to become a pretty scary situation. Um, you know, so I, I'd love to be able to report back and say, reporting from Texas, like everybody's wearing masks and, you know, we got this shit on lock and it's going to be okay. But uh, that's not what's happening. And, you know, that's not what I'm seeing over here. Um, it's anecdotal for the area that I exist in. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it, this is the kind of stuff, like the fact, like, you know, it looked like New York was, you know, New, I mean, it wasn't that it looked like New York was the epicenter still in some ways is like, you know, just reeling, you know, back from that, they were able to decrease their numbers. And it kind of, you know, you, you kind of maybe had a moment to feel like, okay, at least for this first phase, we're going to kind of taper out and, you know, we're going to get to like the fall and then we'll contend with what phase two looks like. But the fact that it looks like these, you know, Arizona, Texas, Florida, are starting to rev up and like put up numbers that even New York necessarily didn't have on their highest days. I mean, that's an issue. Yeah. I actually talked to my former roommate uh, earlier today about it because he had put up a Facebook post, you know, essentially it had a very strong tone to it where if I see you out here, not wearing a mask, uh, which wearing a mask is for your own safety and for the safety of others. So if I see you out here, not wearing a mask, don't ask me for help because you're not going to get it from me. And I was like, I reached out to him. I'm like, hey, man, is everything okay? <laughs> because I just saw this post on Facebook, and you seem very upset about someone in particular. So is, is everything all right? He's like, ah, you know, I was just very frustrated. Um, you know, it wasn't aimed at anyone in particular. You know, there's a lot of people that I know that are very anti-mask right now, and, um, you know, I just felt like I had to put that out there. And he also said, you know, I'm frustrated because, you know, I feel like we're in either the same place or a worse place. And obviously the numbers are going up. So you can easily say it's a, a worse place than we were a few months ago when New York first locked down. Um, and that the reason, and to, to be staying home this entire time, to be taking it seriously for my roommate who lives, uh, my former roommate who lives alone with just his cat now, uh, not really being able to see anyone he's on unemployment to turn around and to see other people not taking it seriously and to potentially be, um, you know, not even allowing us to get to a second wave because we've spiked now in trying to flatten the curve in the first wave, it, it led to a level of frustration for him, which is very understandable. Yeah, I mean, and I wish like, I mean, we could have a better understanding to say we know what's happening, but we don't, right? And I get his impulse. I get the impulse to shame. I get the impulse to kind of like, kind of scold at folks that are not maybe doing what we consider is the right thing, you know? And like, there's a part of it where all of this has been an exercise in like dealing with when your professionals and your health experts, they're doing their best, but they also don't know like exactly what's happening, right? Like they can't give an explanation why states like Texas and Florida uh, early on weren't seeing the numbers that New York were you know, New York was, you know, and now that kind of obviously helped, you know, get their guard down. And, you know, did they probably start opening up way too early? Yeah. I mean, that was part of it. Right. But I mean, in an honest conversation of it is also, we don't know what the effects of these uh, protests and other mass gatherings look like. Um, so, you know, we don't have a clear answer, you know, and I think everybody wants to be able to say you're doing the wrong thing or you're doing the right thing. 
I think, you know, the, the common, you know, the consensus seems to be wear a mask, keep, you know, keep social distance at six feet, try not to be indoors in any kind of large gatherings, um, you know, really go out for essentials. Like, I mean, this seems to be where they're at, but, you know, that wasn't necessarily where they were at months ago. I mean, months ago, you know, we had our health officials telling us not to get masks or masks would make a difference. And then, you know, you have Dr. Fauci coming out and saying basically the reason they said that um, was because they didn't want to have a create a run on PPE and for, for frontline, you know, workers and doctors and nurses, which, you know, okay, but I mean, that does nothing to build any kind of faith to basically say, hey, we lied because we, we thought we were lying for a good reason. You know, so I do understand there being some confusion on it. I also understand there's politics inside of it and people are culture warring and all that kind of shit. But we can have an honest conversation and be like, are, are the leaders we look to, you know, political and health-wise, haven't necessarily, you know, given us all the best information. And some of that was because the reality is they're dealing with the virus that they're trying to figure out and learn more about. Um, so they don't always have clear information. So they're always just trying to assess what they're seeing. And then there was part of it where they're intentionally saying, like, we intentionally said something that we didn't necessarily believe in, right? So I don't know. I mean, like, I'd love to be able to put things in a bow and say it's just a simple issue of some people are acting, you know, badly and some people are not. But we don't even know enough about this virus to say what exactly is going on, right? Like, why is it spiking here? Well, like, that was going to be part of my question to you is that do you think that there are reasonable people that are avidly against wearing a mask right now? Um, probably not. Or, because, because, you know, because you know, to, talk, to talk about starting this podcast, right, I feel like in the very first few episodes, it was brought up, probably by you, because you make more good points than I do, that Republicans that voted for Trump, some of them had valid reasons to be upset with what was happening in the, and the direction that they wanted the country to go, whether it was for, um, you know, economics or, um, you know, their religious reasons or just felt, you know, disenfranchised um, by the system and were looking for something different. I don't know if you could say today that there are still reasonable Trump voters. Um, so, yeah, I, it's, I find it hard to believe that there are reasonable people that decide to not wear a mask because it's a really easy thing to do. Yeah, I mean, so... And kind of speaking from my experience of what I'm seeing down here, and like, I, I, you know, when I go to the supermarket or if I go out to the pharmacy, because that's about like the, the limited places we're going, right? We're either going to pick up food from a drive-thru or a takeout. Um, we are getting groceries. We're going, you know, to the pharmacy. Maybe we go to the ATM. Um, along with that, we went to the doctor together recently, me and my wife. But like, that's been about like, the last few months, I think like the only certain like repeated spots that we've really been going to. And when we're out, I mean, you know, we say probably the number, depending on where you're at, like it's probably 50-50. 50% of people are wearing masks, 50% are probably not. I think it's probably, it's hard to kind of say exactly why everyone's not. I think there's a list of different reasons. One, I think there's ignorance, you know, like we all like have this idea that everybody's watching the news, everybody's got a phone, everyone's on TV, right? Or watching TV. Not necessarily the case, you know, people might've heard something, but they don't actually know the severity of it and people aren't following, right? So there's, there's a part of the population that's probably ignorant, you know, and I, I'm using this to extrapolate 
kind of not just in Houston, but kind of everywhere, right? Like even in New York City, New York, I imagine there's a common there's a combination of people that are ignorant. Like, and I say ignorant, so they just don't know any better. Like they don't have the info, they're or uninformed or whatever, right? There are, you know, and I don't want to say resource space because honestly, it doesn't take much to find some t-shirt to wrap around your face or find something. So I mean, there's probably some folks that are maybe homeless and just don't have access to something. But I imagine the number of people that really are like, I don't have access to find something to put around my face that could give me some kind of protection to be very low. So, I mean, I really think it's more of the uninformed, you know? Uh, yeah, especially because when, when this all started here, it's still cold in New York. So you could still be uh, using your scarf uh, to go around you. And remember too, it was mandated here at one point, which has not been the case, I think, where you live, right? Yeah, so it is, it's a thing where there is a weird inter power play happening between the governor and like the local officials. Um, where the, ga- the governor hasn't, you know, Governor Abbott hasn't given local officials the authority or power to make any kind of sweeping orders like that. So there is no mass um, order in place. But, you know, and I'll get to that. Like, I mean, what I, if I think about the efficacy of like having even an order, right? But I do think like there's majority of the people you're probably seeing at some kind of level of they're uninformed about it. There's probably some folks that are just downright selfish, meaning it's not political. They're just like, don't care because a lot of those folks are probably young um, that are just like, they have this idea in their head that, you know, the, the effects or, you know, the hospitalization rate is higher for older folks that so they're okay. And you know what, they might have like less symptoms or, you know, be as- more asymptomatic than other age groups. But, you know, they're also the people that are spreading it to older folks. And these hospitals are finding cases of people that are in, you know, in their early 20s, you know, some in, in their teens, like, both my siblings who have dealt with COVID patients in ICUs and their hospitals becoming COVID hospitals have said they've seen young folks. So they got the uninformed, you got the selfish, and then you got like, yeah, you got the fringe people. You got somehow they made it some kind of weird political cultural war issue in their mind. And they feel like they're being oppressed by having to do this. So you got like a weird mix of different folks that are doing it for different reasons. None of it's great. And I think like the best explanation for it is like I saw somebody, I don't, I don't know, they, they tweeted out was saying, if the decision is like, hey, our health professionals end up being wrong, like, okay, like the worst thing that happened to you is you had to, you wore, you know, you wore a piece of cloth around your face for a while, right? right? That's why I can't understand, sorry, go ahead. No, and if it ends up being right, um, you know, and then you, you might've protected your fellow, your fellow citizens, your fellow neighbors, your fellow family, your fellow friends for something. Which is why I can't understand the selfish people. Like the uninformed, okay, I get it. You're uninformed. If I inform you, hopefully you then make the right decision. The fringe people, as much as I disagree with them, I understand it because if Donald Trump told them that eating rocks prevented COVID-19, they would be stuffing their face with rocks. The selfish people is what really gets me because this is not a real inconvenience. Can you imagine if any of these people had to deal with real hardship or, you know, how they can equate this to actual oppression because you know you don't see these people you know defiantly not wearing their seatbelts or you know if they get pulled over telling uh, the police officer when they're writing them a ticket you're violating my right to freedom right now or you know storming into uh, restaurants with no shirt and no socks and expecting to get service um you know it is so it is so easy to just put on the mask and, and just be fine with it you know when it first started and the masks first got mandated here in new york and again 
there was confusion about how much the mask does. I wasn't trying to wear the mask. I was like, they're saying you need it. You don't need it. It's fine. Um, you know, I'm all good. I'm going to go to the store. And then I went to the supermarket and I was the only person not wearing a mask. And I thought to myself, I should probably put a mask on next time. And I did. And you know what changed? Nothing. Nothing changed for me. I just wore a mask and it, mm -hmm. I got less dirty looks. And that was, you know, that was a good thing. But it was not an inconvenience. You know, if I forgot the mask and had to turn around and go back to my apartment, that was the most inconvenient. So the selfish people is, is probably, you're right, the largest number. And they are the most aggravating. Yeah, I mean... Yeah. I would like to say it's, it's, you know, there is some big, like, theoretical or, you know, deep psych psychological reason, but, you know, selfish people do selfish things, and, you know, if anything, maybe it points to, and this is not even a political comment, because I, I imagine this happens on all sides of the spectrum, you know, and maybe it's a generational thing, but, you know, I've seen a lot of people, you know, and, and we are talking about a younger generation and that are kind of, you know, that's not to say there aren't old folks that are flouting it, but they probably tend to be either in more the ignorant or in the political side. But like the people that know, people that don't have a political affiliation about it, they tend to be young, right? And it talks probably a larger point about our society. Like if you, if you don't care, if you honestly don't care about your fellow neighbors or your fellow society at large, then you're not going to give a fuck about where you because yes, is it such a little inconvenience? But it's going to be very much like, yeah, but why would I even have to put up with that if it's not going to affect me? You know, <laughs> like, I mean, that's, that's as simple of a breakdown as it comes. It's like, if you aren't tethered to larger things in your life, like if you aren't tethered to the idea of caring about your friends, if you aren't tethered to the idea of like, you know, let's say even like, you know, you belong to a religion and like, you know, being around people and it gives you or or even your family, like if you're so disassociated, you know, and all you care about is your immediate gratification, like the idea of like, I'm not even going to deal with putting on a mask because it's inconvenient, it makes me hot. And like, like, what do you expect, right? Like, this is like, it's, it's actually not that confounding that it happens. It's maddening, but it's not confounding, right? And we should, I guess, also identify that there might be a percentage of folks that don't wear masks because they have for health reasons and you know, that's a small percentage, but that's a percentage there. But I imagine the largest percentage, though, is what you probably identified as selfish folks. There's, there's probably more people not wearing a mask and claiming that they have a medical issue because of it, rather than people that actually have a medical issue and are not wearing a mask. Yeah, and I imagine most of those folks that are doing that bullshit, and like, I know what you're highlighting, it's basically because they're using the language from, I think, like the Americans with Disability Act, like, you know, being able to um, have identification cards that, like, let people know, like, they have a disability, they don't have to disclose it, but they're just letting you know that they have a disability, and that's why they don't have to do a certain thing, right? It's, if anything, it was created as a way for, you know, not to have to put people in awkward situations that actually have disabilities that don't want to necessarily share, but they're trying to find a way to kind of, you know, let you know, like, that task that you might require everyone, I can't do it for, for a reason, right? That's up to the you know, store owner or whatever to deal with. But yeah, people are trying to co-opt it and they're trying to use it as a way to get around wearing masks, which is, which is pretty fucking, I mean, like to go through all that effort to not wear a mask seems like, you know, like you're obviously trying really hard. So again, that, I don't think that's selfish folks. 
as much as like the political folks and like the culture warriors that have made it like, you know, they're firing a shot for freedom or something by, by having to lie about having a disability, right? Like, I mean, like, that's what they're doing. It's, it's, you know, it's shameful, but like, this is the game they want to play, I guess, go ahead. Like, I mean, what do you do? And, and, and this is the what do you do point, like you pointed out, like we don't have a mask order here. Um, mask orders don't work, right? Like they don't. Like nobody wore masks in New York because of the fact that Cuomo said there's a mask order, right? The yeah, well, reason even, why, even now if they the try to enforce it, well, you know, all the cops are just retiring or trying to retire early. They're getting out. So there's no one even to, to enforce it. They'd have to go find some social workers to walk around and slap masks on you. Yeah, I mean, and let's, and let's, let's be real about it. Let's say that there wasn't any, you know, all this friction between the, the cops and society at large, which, come on, there's always been friction with cops and society at large, or at least portions of society at large. Um, but enforcement like of this it's like there are way more many people in society than there are cops right like outside of like some small town town like out there like you're still there's no way to enforce something like that you're going to end up selectively enforcing it you know and who always usually gets targeted in situations like that you know the exact reason why these protests are happening right but 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 the cops themselves they i mean I imagine for, you know, purposes of self-preservation, they don't want to be doing that. They don't want to be going to each person to go do it. And it's not either efficient or effective, meaning that people are going to continually try to get away. Like you need cultural buy-in. You need to be able to have people like really agree that there is a bigger goal. Like there's an importance to doing this, right? And like you don't do it through enforcement. You do it through actually convincing them. You do it through like tying this message through. And this is where it's hard because if you have a large part of your society is selfish and they aren't tethered to larger purposes or goals, how do you reach them? And, and that does show, I mean, like let's take it out of even the political side. This is like one of the biggest problems we have as a society in the country. It's like how far we've gone away from like having like communities and having like, you know, groups and associations and things that bond us to like, literally i don't care about anything except my immediate wants and goals right like and it's hard to convince those folks but i will tell you that enforcement of any kind you know it's limited and it doesn't end up and then you just end up creating like a big divide like the the only way to get a society to move is not through force it is through like actual persuasion sure but like you know also the streets in new york city in a lot of places can be filthy at times that doesn't mean that there sh- and because, and because people are going to litter anyway. That doesn't mean that there shouldn't be laws against littering. And you know, a cop is probably not going to write you a ticket if you if you miss the garbage can when you try to throw something out. But there's and those is, laws what, should what, still be. What does that highlight? So you highlighted that a cop's not most likely going to cite you for littering. There is littering, but overall, like a lot of folks don't litter. It shows that they're not doing it because of a law. They're doing it because at some point, the cultural touch point has gone for the population to all of a sudden feel like, you know what, I shouldn't be doing that. Like there is something publicly like wrong with me doing that. Exactly. But and I think the mandate, the, the mandate, the law helps get to that point. I don't, I don't think so. I think it's social behavior. You know, I don't think like anybody, like, I don't think I've ever not littered because I felt like, oh my God, I'm worried about, I'm going to get a fine. 
I don't litter because I feel like, okay, we've all, we're in a society and like, that would be something I would get judged for. That would be something that if I did, like, you know what I mean? Like most, like there are laws and we probably have way too many laws for lots of different things, but you know, we try to make it feel like, oh, the law came into place and then it created like, no, I think that overall, like it's more of like grassroots, like movements and organizations and just cultural behavior changing over time. Like that's how things change. Meaning like, I don't think it's like, oh, you're gonna get a $50 fine or you're gonna get something if you throw something on the ground. Like, I don't think that's what people were, because they know they can do it all the time. There's no way to enforce any of this. There's no way to enforce most behavior. And like, once that kind of like facade breaks down, you start to realize like, yeah, like there's so much shit you can get away with, right? And we just don't because we agree as a society for the most part, we're not gonna try to do this shit. Right. And I think that's the same thing with math, meaning like you could put a mask order in place. How are you going to then enforce people that are staunchly against it or selfish to like, okay, now I'm going to follow it, especially I'm going to follow this rule that you don't even have the efficacy to be able to enforce. Like it's not going to happen. Right. But how do you do it? You create enough people in the society to buy into it and you get them to police themselves right? You get them to actually say amongst each other, like, you know, you don't do this. Like, I'm going to be looking at you a different way. So in some ways, like, you know, your roommate did, like, maybe that, that would be more efficient as a way, meaning that if anybody that respects them, and like, maybe doesn't wear a mask or hasn't been, might think about doing it. But what I will tell you is that Andrew Cuomo, or Governor Abbott here, putting a mask order in place, is not the reason why people are going to be wearing masks. And the public pressure, hopefully, is something that can, you know, help because the, it's the same selfish people that are keeping us from being able fully to flatten the curve and to be able to even get to the second wave, uh, like I mentioned. And these are the same people that are busting at the seams to go to restaurants, go to bars, to, you know, go to church, to go to visit their friends, to just be out of their houses when, you know, the fact is that if you were to do this and do it properly um you know social distancing wearing a mask all that you might be able to get back to life um as somewhat normal faster or at least be able to get to the time of a vaccine um easier than we, what we're seeing right now unfortunately with the uh, rising cases across the country i mean and we hope right <laughs> i mean that's what we're also going on and we can be real about that i mean we can be real about the fact that slogans like flatten the curve and i mean you know i was saying that i mean i still believe it as a concept like i mean I, it makes sense in that lowering the infection rate right and the whole point about flattening the curve isn't about you know eradicating covid19 or getting rid of coronavirus flattening the curve is just making it so it's pal pal palatable to be able to have our hospitals not overrun, right? right? Like that's all what flatten the curve is, is basically not getting ourselves into a situation where our hospitals are gonna be completely overrun, thus putting you know, a ridiculous strain on our society and like all we're doing is treating COVID and we can't treat all the other things that we as a society, we don't need help with. Um, so what my point is just that we had we don't know like even like countries that are effectively you know progressing in phases have had low cases 
we don't know as they open up what's that going to look like. I mean, I think someone pointed out, and this might be where we're at, and I think we have done a criminally bad job as a country handling this. And because we've had poor leadership on a local level, we've had poor leadership on a federal level, right? Um, and what's happening here is that we probably haven't handled it well, but we also don't know. We don't know because we can flatten the curve. And what somebody had said was that we might be dealing with till we have a vaccine of some sort that we can mass, we can distribute in mass. We're probably gonna have to be dealing with constantly reopening phase by phase, seeing how much it spikes, then having to close it down again to manage the spike and be on this continual wave of doing it. Yeah. Because till, till they do it, until we have enough herd immunity, like what else is there to do, right? Like it's not realistic for everybody to stay inside for let's say another two, three months, right? Because it's the summer I mean, and you're trying to get your drink on? <laughs> that and people need to work and like uh, our governments are refusing to send money out. Like there are people that are in situations that need to be out, right? I like, thought you were doing like a big like luau party for your birthday this year. I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but I wouldn't necessarily do that. But like I understand the human nature is that it's, it's a challenge. So could we have done a better job if honestly before, because what we're doing is the genie's out of the bottle, right? Like the genie's out of the bottle and in some ways we kind of keep starting and stopping, putting it back in, letting it out a little bit. The reason is we're kind of fucked in like when we, when this all was starting, we had our first few cases, probably the best thing is if we had a country where um, had some information, which was that masks were going to be something that everybody should be wearing, right? Everybody should be limiting going out as much as possible but also go outside, you know, get some fresh air. Don't be in like inside all the time because it seems inside is a big source of like how this thing spreads. We'd probably be in a bigger, better situation than we are now, but that's not what we did, right? And we have to kind of accept that and that, you know, we are fucked. I mean, 120,000 people have died because of this thing and they're projecting 200,000 people. So, I mean, all I'm, all I'm saying is that I don't think like we have any clear answers on this other than like, we're going to have to try our best and our best at this point seems to be wear masks and keep distance and don't gather inside places. And do I think that's asking a lot of people? No, no, I don't. But I'm also like not surprised that there are going to be people that don't follow it, you know? And I don't think we're going to be able to enforce our way into it either. Um, I, about a month ago, so I mentioned on the podcast, my friend's brother is a big QAnon guy oh yeah uh he's still been going hard uh on uh on those posts he, he Wait, also can he i also... ask you something sure duke is there anything like are there QAnon guys that don't go hard like is there anybody that believes that conspiracy like is there just like i'm just the mild mannered introverted <laughs> person that's a QAnon follower i just I read it QAnon i just take follower. it in <laughs> yeah like i just dabble in QAnon a little bit like i just do a little bit of light reading on the side like, no, everybody that believes in a crazy conspiracy like QAnon or Pizzagate are spamming their social media, letting every single person they know to the point of, like, them wondering, like, are you okay, friend, to, like, you know, 
like they like that person is out and about they are fully out of the closet about being QAnon. Well, yeah, part of it is, you know, you got to spread the gospel, right? We've seen that in other areas before. So, yeah, that, you got you to put the word out. Um, uh, but I will say he's gone, he has, you know, downshifted a little bit because he, he has also, like, launched a new website for his business. Um, so he's, he's been talking more about his business than just the QAnon stuff, which I find very interesting because it's all on the same Facebook page, right? His personal Facebook page where he's talking about his business and his, uh, you know, political beliefs. And they're so fringy and cringy that it's like, hey man, maybe you should separate your business from this a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, that seems like sound <laughs> advice. Yeah. Probably create some kind of fake profiles you can put. But you know, you'd only think that if what you think you're saying is actually fringe. That's true. <laughs> like if, That's true. If well, you don't think you're fringe, like, and unfortunately, like for folks like that, and like, you know, what will happen is that because we do live in a culture that things get, you know, dug up online and like all it takes is like right now, there's no reason to have a spotlight on him, right? But all of a sudden the wrong person gets pissed at him and like starts, you know, sharing that and it who knows that thing goes viral all of a sudden it's a boycott about going to your friend's business. Right. So, I mean, it is a risk. He probably doesn't even realize it's a risk because he's so into like the idea that this is absolutely what's happening. So, I mean, it's a bit unfortunate and I hope your friend kind of opens up their eyes about it just for the sake of their business. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. We'll see. But his thing now has been really pushing the idea that um, this has all been planned and that wearing masks is just about subjugating the country and controlling you, which I don't understand how either of those things are possible because they also think that China made the virus and is sending it to us. So I don't know what part of that is planned. And if you're a QAnon guy, you're also a Trump supporter. So if you're saying that the government is trying to suppress you and control you, then wouldn't Trump be a part of that? I. You know, not surprisingly, Jason, I'm having a hard time putting the pieces together. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the fundamental question you have to ask anybody like this that is dabbling into, or or as we said, <laughs> full full blown into it, <laughs> just dipping their toe uh, in, or or you know, guzzling it, taking a weekend jaunt to some crazy conspiracy <laughs> theory about pedophilia and whatever else, but. Um, the one question that you have to really ask these people, and I forget where I saw this, but you know, I want to be able to credit whoever I saw this from when I get a chance. But the one question I'm able to ask them is, so you're telling me that this was all planned out. This was taken, you know, done by our government, but also by China in coordination. Somehow, you know, kids are involved as far as, you know, it's all planned and they're all trying to, create fear, chaos, and disruption. And they have all the tools and leverage to be able to do this, to create a massive global pandemic and force you to, you know, wear a mask and do all this other kinds of crazy things, right? But yet somehow in their massive coordinated plan, they thought they didn't have the power or the wherewithal to be able to delete your Facebook post or your Instagram <laughs> post. Or your crazy conspiracy YouTube post. Like somehow all of that's able to exist. All the truth tellers are free to kind of sit in a, in a community and talk about like they actually know the truth. And the, the government that is in coordination with all of the other countries where 
and all that somehow had all this power, but not the power to take down a YouTube video. Like, well, they, they don't want to make it too they, obvious, Jason. That's why. That's why. <laughs> yeah, so they don't want to make it too obvious by taking down that YouTube video that has like you know 200 views, but <laughs> they have no problem spreading a global a pandemic, and that's not obvious at all, right? Like, come on, like at some level like there is a part of this that it's not what i mean is that they do they believe it probably they've gone down the wormhole in such a way but the reason for believing it it's not grounded in truth and some of those folks might actually be like really in need of help so i don't want to like shit on them like all that much about it but there's also probably a group of folks that maybe just for whatever reason like they they went down the rabbit hole and they got lost right because if they for a moment and like what happens with this kind of conspiracy theory stuff and you talk to people like that they start using language and they start using words that like make sense in their own brain and this whole weird construct that they've created about like what's happening that you can't even argue with like you could point out this all out to them and they will have a response to that and a response that's not grounded in anything that probably makes sense but they're going to say it so, I mean, I don't know what to say to these folks, like, other than, like, I hope you're able to, like, wake up, because I imagine it's pretty stressful and tiring to live a life where you think you're, you are in the middle of a conspiracy theory every day. Uh, to spin it back from crazy people to selfish people, Jason, um, something that you, you mentioned that, you know, as far as the public shaming, and I think that is, you know, what will be the driving force in, in hopefully getting more people to wear masks is the pressure that you feel when you're out in public without a mask. Um, but one of the things that shaming sucks though. It was short, not, sh you know, sh not shaming. I don't think you should be, <laughs> you know, running up to people and, you know, ringing the shame bell at them like it's game of Thrones. But I do think, you know, uh, oh, pulling your iPhone out in video in recording. Cause that's like the, you know, that feels like that's the regular, you know, motive or the regular operations for most folks but yeah no i mean i don't i don't think it's shaming but i do think it's just getting people to buy in like people to agree like i think like that's the way to get people's like opinion right like now, how did gay if, marriage gay, gay marriage become a you know something that overwhelmingly like 60 percent of folks like actually have no problem with when we grew up like we were going through high school and stuff and like that those numbers were always like maybe 30 to 40 percent of people thought gay marriage should be legal you know, things change. You just got to get people to buy in and see it and that it's okay. Um, and, I, and I agree with you. And the thing that um, concerns me about that being an effective strategy is because that's also what you're seeing with the Confederate flag right now. And particularly in NASCAR, and we'll talk about Bubba Wallace here for a little bit, but, you know, NASCAR came out with their statement that they wanted to get rid of the Confederate flag inside their tracks. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that extended to the parking lot. I don't know if it could, but, um, you know, they, they made a hard line stance against you know, the displaying of the Confederate flag uh, for NASCAR events. And that led to a big backlash from NASCAR fans who decided to uh, uh, fly a plane over the race at Talladega with a Confederate flag and a, you know, sign that said defund NASCAR. Um, so we see, here's a situation where, you know, these people that should be being shamed for something and instead they're turning to it, embracing it even more. Yeah. And the I idea, mean. the idea of, of racism 
is something that we've tried to shame uh, in this country for a while, um, you know, to varying degrees, and clearly, you know, has not been uh, very effective. Yeah, I mean, I find like shaming in general for, you know, I understand it. And are there things that deserve shame? Sure, you know, but, but like, 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 you know, don't, you know, concentrate too much on the word shame because the shaming, the public pressure, like that's what I'm getting at. Not necessarily strictly shaming someone, but the idea of, you know, you're going to wear, you're going to, people are going to wear a mask because of the pressure of their peers, um, you know, is forcing their hand at it. The same way that we've, you know, tried to, take the public pressure of you shouldn't be a racist and you shouldn't be a racist at all, but you also shouldn't be a racist in public um, that it doesn't seem to take. Yeah. Because I think pressure in and of itself, the idea that you're going to change someone's heart or someone's mind by pressure, like you might effectively change or modify their behavior in public. And I get that, you know, that's all you're asking for when it comes to mass. Um, and but I just don't think that there's going to be a large enough percentage of folks that that's going to be effective on, right? And especially with racism, right? With racism, okay, yeah, some people will make the calculation. And I don't think they're even thinking they're being racist. Like, most folks aren't, like, you know, like, wake up today, like, my day to be racist, and now I'm not going to because it's <laughs> public. You know, like, people will make decisions, and some people will make decisions based on public pressure and what's the outcome. But my overall point was like regarding masks and even regarding something like racism, right? The only long-term effective goal is to actually convince and change people's hearts. And it is, and their minds. And that means to engage with the people because as soon as you write them off and you make them either criminally stupid or like whatever, irredeemable. And I say that even for racists, right? If you say somebody's just a racist and I've probably done that. I'm saying that is probably, I've done that on this pod. I've done it in real life to say like, well, they're just a racist, they don't even deserve any time, right? Like, I've said that, I know I've said that. And like, and I say that about even for like people that don't wear masks to kind of say like, you know, cause there's easy to kind of just judge and say like, they're beyond like, but we need them, right? Just like, why is racism and you know, a thing that will continue and continue? It'll continue and continue and continue till we get people to stop being racist. And one thing that we've effectively seen is that just purely shaming them isn't like, you know, cause it'll manifest itself in some other way, right? It'll come out in some other way. And the only way to kind of deal with like issues like this is to actually convince and persuade and connect and like do the hard work, right? Like we all just want to be able to say we're morally righteous and point out and jump on and say, because I'm morally righteous, I'm going to shame you. And you know what? You might have enough people on your side that you cancel someone or you get someone, but you didn't change their mind. You didn't change their heart. You didn't change it effectively anybody else that maybe you would. Because if you think the answer is you're going to effectively cancel or you're going to pressure enough people into your point of view, like you're wrong, right? And at some point, there's going to be a backlash to that shit, you know? And like we talked about Trump, like Trump rode a wave of agreement, you know? Like there are a bunch of folks that were upset about the idea that they feel like whether honestly, rightfully or not, in their minds, they feel like they're being forced to do things right? And, and maybe in some ways that are, are elite and like, you know, I mean, even Democrats and like, you know, liberals and moderates and all these people have done that to them. It made them feel that, you know, 
And that's what I mean. So when it comes to whether it's wearing masks or dealing with racists, like I'm sure somebody that would hear this will be like, you don't know what it's like. And like, you know, the experiences, like you can't, you can't condone that. I was like, nobody's condoning racism. But I mean, if we want to be real about it, like if you think like I'm going to effectively change someone's mind by, by getting enough of a rally of people to shame them or like put pressure on them to say, you know, that's wrong. It's like, yeah, okay. Or, or, you know, what's probably going to be the most effective, like, and we've seen cases of this is somebody that can actually go to that person and like actually build a relationship to convince that person why, like what they're doing is, you know, hurtful, harmful, like, you know, and how that affects them, you know, cause when you have a, I mean, that's what human beings are right. Like are like, we, we react when, you know, like things are personal. It's different from what our political views are, right? Like me and you have a friendship or you have some friendship with someone and you might have all the political in the views of the world. But if your political view goes against the fact that the thing you thought you believed in is going to directly hurt the person that like you're friends with, you're probably going to reconsider. That's going to be the strongest thing to actually change your mind or make you do something different. So like, as a society, yeah, we can go with the pressure. We can go with the, the you know, and all of that for all this stuff. Or we can try to do the hard work of like, if you have somebody in your family, you have somebody in your network, or if you see somebody, maybe engage with them, figure out for them why they're not, you know, maybe have a conversation. I don't know, like something like that, where you actually try to build a bond and not just try to propagandize them, like actually build a bond with them to understand where they're coming from and get them to kind of also see where you're coming from and see if they have any space for them to move. Like that's worthwhile, but it's also hard, right? People want, in, and it, this goes back to selfish. We want instant gratification. We want to just say, hey, do the thing I'm telling you. And if you don't, I'm going to get a whole bunch of people to tell you that you're shitty, right? <laughs> like, like that's, isn't that the answer? Or at least that's the answer if you believe the world is online, right? For the rest of the world that's not online, I still like to believe there's a reality of people just kind of exist and, people have friends and people have coworkers and like, you know, we exist in a world where we are around people that don't have the same beliefs or, you know, or do things that are shitty and like we somehow find a way to exist. Right. So, you know, just, this is all me rambling to basically say about mass is, or, you know, social behavior and, you know, is if you really believe in something like embrace and engage the people that don't believe in it or are literally the people that are the ones that are, you know, on the direct opposite and try to find a way that you can kind of bring them into the conversation and actually hear them. Let's see if they can hear them. And not everyone will, and it won't be successful, right? But who knows, you know, because there might be some people that do. And I think it's just a more powerful way to kind of deal with folks. And to bring it back here to NASCAR, which I think is the most that we've ever said the word NASCAR uh, <laughs> on this Absolutely. podcast before. Um, you know, someone that you think would be, you know, a good candidate to be able to do something like that, and maybe not on the individual level like you're talking about, uh, but that could maybe reach people's hearts in a different way, uh, would be Bubba Wallace, who is the only driver of color on the NASCAR circuit, whatever they call it. I think that's right. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't follow, I don't follow. I don't know. Uh, he's the only driver of color in NASCAR. And instead, he's become a lightning rod now because of what's happened um, at Talladega and what's happened since then. So uh, to recap, in case you hadn't been following, um, NASCAR's uh, big race at Talladega, uh, which is in Alabama, um, 
was actually it's usually on Sunday. It was delayed because of weather. Uh, they ran it on um, Monday, um, but at some point, uh, someone from Bubba Wallace's team saw hanging in um, their garage a noose. Um, that person, mm-hmm. knowing that Bubba Wallace, who recently had Black Lives Matter put on his car, um, who, um, like I mentioned, is the only driver of color, who has been, um, you know, given now an extra spotlight than he had previously because of what's been going on in the country and the stance that he took publicly on it uh, and the sport that he's in, um, that that person, the person that found it, went to NASCAR immediately. NASCAR, seeing the situation, called the FBI. The FBI investigated, and in a couple of days, they found out that that um, hanging rope, the noose, because they released a picture since, it's a noose. Um, had been there since 2019. Um, now, whether you want to say that that justifies the news hanging there or not, I would disagree with you. Uh, they also said that, um, and again, I'm not an NASCAR guy. I'm not even a regular car guy. Um, you know, the time that I spend in my car in the garage, in a, in a, you know, a work garage is to tell someone else, you know, the things that I would hope that they would do to my car or them telling me what's wrong with my car. And I have no idea. So again, I, you know, I might not be the most knowledgeable person on the subject, but the FBI and NASCAR with this investigation said that of the, you know, many garages that they checked, only three of them had hanging ropes, something like that. And this was the only one that was tied like a noose. So it's reasonable for the person that found it to think in the first place that it was a noose. Bubba Wallace then after the findings came out that this was not something that was directed at him um, and that it was there for over a year. He was on Don Lemon and basically said what I just said. It's still a noose, right? Someone still had to go hang a noose there at some point and that's a problem. Um, and as a result now people are, um, you know, jumping on him as in this is some kind of Jesse Smollett, Smollett situation um, where he is at the center of faking this big discussion on race. Yeah. I mean, so first of all, like I thought they said like what was considered a noose actually was like part of like a pulley. Yes. And it was absolutely a garage pulley. It was used to pull down something in the garage. However, the, there was only two other garages or three other garages that had an actual rope system to do that. And this was the only one that was tied in that fashion. Cause you know, you can tie a rope, you can have a rope, you can have it, you know, in, in a number of ways, but you know, a noose is a noose. This was tied like a noose. So someone still had to tie a noose tie, a noose knot um, to do it when you could have done a bunch of other kind of, you know, uh, circumstances. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think it was like a noose knot. Like, I mean, like, like that knot that's a, like that's used as a noose is actually just a knot, right? Like, it's it's used like for other purposes outside of that. So, I mean, do I think like could somebody when they you know rigged the rope that way that it was rigged like a noose? I guess that seems just like wildly crazy to be honest. You know, um, it's prob- but, probably but just I- holy. I mean, is it is it that crazy in a it sport is. that they were already, you know, you know, touting the Confederate flag that, you know, these are people that, you know, clearly have strong feelings about what that flag, you know, they think it represents. Um, 
I don't think that it is unreasonable to think that there is a percentage of the NASCAR population that is racist. Um, just like, you know, in America, right? So I, I don't think it's unreasonable to think that it would be a noose there. Yeah, I mean, I think you got to really want it if you want to believe that. Like, I mean, I really do. Like, I think it's just the, I mean, the fact that it's been there and like, it just seems like when I saw it, I was like, okay, I can, it looks like a noose, but it also looks like it'd be a pulley. You know, so like the idea that somebody had gone in years before made it a, made it the pulley look like a noose and specifically to, you know, to terrorize Bubba. Like, here's the thing. A mistake was made, but nobody did anything wrong, right? Like Bubba didn't do anything wrong. Like the person that is part of his, his crew didn't do anything wrong. They saw something, they made a mistake. They thought it was a noose because it looks like a noose, just like you said, hadn't noticed the thing before within the context of everything going on. So like, we don't have to like, dis like distort the facts or make it fit into something to be able to address what the issue at hand is, which is that, first of all, NASCAR did a great job. Like, you know, we don't have to make it seem like NASCAR did a great job, they investigated, but more importantly, NASCAR as a sport did a great job of rallying around Bubba. Like that was a beautiful thing. That was amazing. And you know what? It's needed. Not because of the new situation, but more importantly, because Bubba came out against the Confederate flag and then NASCAR talking about taking down the Confederate flag. The response it got back from people in, in, that are fans of NASCAR, the fact that uh, uh, like a plane flew by with like, um, I think a banner saying about like- The fun NASCAR. Fun NASCAR. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, like that should show them, like that was needed because of that. Like what happened with Bubba Wallace? With a misunderstanding, with a, with a mistake, it happens. Like we don't have to go and try to defend or make something into it that it wasn't to be able to, when there's plenty of actual real stuff with NASCAR. Like that needed to happen anyway to defend Bubba because Bubba was the one that was the one pushing it. Like NASCAR, NASCAR knows it as a history. Like NASCAR is talking about, oh, we gotta, it's the right thing to do, thing to do, take down the Confederate flag. Why didn't you take it down before? Why is it like only a conversation now? Like did five years ago, like you, it all of a sudden became wrong now? Like it's been wrong. Like sports and companies and people that are changing things, great job on changing things, but like have an honest assessment about why, you, why did it take you this long to do it, right? And for NASCAR, they have things to clean up. They have to clean up in that they were, they were basically trying to keep their mouth shut to make, a portion of their audience happy and that portion of their audience that now they're saying is like they're kind of admitting like yeah shit like that is the wrong symbol because that represents something that we don't want to represent and what is it when those people are proudly saying that that symbol represents me what does it make those folks right like we got to have that conversation like i mean and nascar needs to have that conversation so what i mean is like what happened with bubba and like the support that he got that was that was important that was needed and NASCAR needs to continue to have that kind of a conversation about why is there only one black black driver in NASCAR, right? Why was it that the Confederate flag as of up to this year was something you could see, you know, flying free at every NASCAR event and so kind of linked to the sport, right? Like these are questions that they need to answer. So like the fact that uh, somebody in Bubba, you know, Bubba Wallace's crew made a mistake, made an assumption about something, 
And it was an innocent assumption too, because it wasn't something that seemed so far-fetched when you see the picture of it, but it was still a mistake, right? Like there's nothing that they found like this was done intentionally. It's been there for years. It's part of the pulley system, right? Like we could just say like, it's a mistake, but also still be able to identify like it was a mistake. And that doesn't also absolve the fact that there's a conversation about there was issues of inclusion, issues of race, issues of, you know, of what, you know, Southern heritage, as they call it, that's linked to NASCAR in a way that's not healthy and good for NASCAR rallying around it, you know, and because so, somebody made a mistake doesn't mean that those issues shouldn't be dealt with because Jesse Smollett made a hoax doesn't mean that real people aren't the victims of racial crime, right? Jesse Smollett making a hoax doesn't like, and people have to stop being defensive, like call out things for what they are. Jesse Smollett was a shitty dude who did a shitty thing. Bubba Wallace had somebody on his team who made a mistake. It happens. You know, like we can identify these things in a clear way, but also then say like, that doesn't take away from the larger conversation at hand, which is the larger conversation is like NASCAR has a lot of work to do when it comes to inclusion and race, you know, and our country has a lot to do and they're going to be hoaxes and they're going to be mistakes and they're going to be assumptions that people make. So, I mean, what I say is like, you know, try to try to get as many facts, try to make it a, you know, have good faith and give people grace and doubts and not think it's the worst case scenario. But also realize like, you know, every single case and every single thing, like whether it is real or whether it didn't happen doesn't mean that it takes anything away from the larger conversation needs to have. Very well put, Jason. Thank you for uh, taking us through that because it's very disheartening to see people attacking Bubba Wallace um, when it wasn't even him that reported it in the first place. Um, so. Exactly. And he himself came out, I think, on Dilemma. It was like, you know, it's a little embarrassing and all that. But, like, you know, like he didn't lead it. He was given an information, meaning that NASCAR, like somebody on his team, he didn't even see it, was notified him. Like, you know, and he was going like, okay, if people are notifying me and telling me this thing happened, they're investigating it. Like, what else is he supposed to say? Like, he did nothing wrong. You know, I can understand feeling a little embarrassed, but he, all he ever to say was like, I'm so thankful like that this wasn't real. But, you know, but it does also highlight just because it was real that, you know, there are instances and things that happen in this country. And the reason why I even thought it was real is because it wasn't far-fetched, meaning it does happen, you know? And like, that's the conversation, right? Like, just because somebody's gonna troll you online or whatever, like, it's only whatever power you give them, right? Like, I mean, and there's a larger conversation to happen and we can constantly like get distracted and, you know, from these conversations or feel like we have to defend everything to a, to a like, it's like, no. Like nobody has the thing to say, oh, because, because what happened to Bubba wasn't, didn't actually happen or because Jesse Smollett did a hoax. You know what? The people on the other side, they got you. Now you can't ever talk about like racism in America or things <laughs> like, like, you know, and like, but that's what happens when you're like, people live in like a very online world because they feel like, oh, I don't want to get dunked on, <laughs> you know, like, like, that's really what it comes down to. Like, I don't want to get dunked on. So it's like, you know, it's like kind of give that shit up. And it's like, you know, like, just it is like, I don't think anybody of those people that are probably going after Bubba would be like, you know, because Bubba could easily be like, hey, you know what? Like, that was a mistake. But also, like, we believed in it because, you know, there's an issue of race. Because do you think there's not an issue? And let somebody that's coming for him say, answer that, honestly. 
Yeah, well, that's the thing. The, an honest answer versus what they'll say. Is, that's where the difference lies. Um, yeah. I want to. Yeah, I mean, I hear you. I want to turn our attention here, um, Jason, on this past Tuesday. It was election day here in New York. Primary results in Joe Biden winning the Democratic nomination in New York, uh, getting a 67% of the vote. Bernie Sanders in second. Shout out to Elizabeth Warren coming in third, beating Mike Bloomberg in his own state. Um, <laughs> But so, you know, as we had expected and continues to look this way, Joe Biden, obviously the presumptive nominee to go against Donald Trump uh, come November, which when we get there now, we'll be four years into the Telmont podcast, Jason. Who knows? First, we were doing it in the car, then in person, then via Zoom. Who knows what we'll be doing, how we'll be doing this podcast. It'll just be we'll be telepathically saying it to each other. We don't even need to broadcast it anymore. Um, <laughs> But as we get closer to that, Jason, and, uh, you know, Trump did his rally last week. We talked about it as it was going on. Um, your, uh, your thoughts, what, what do you think is, uh, is Donald Trump's re-election strategy right now? Can, can you tell? I mean, I don't think there's much of a strategy as much as they're just kind of, which has always been their strategy, which is just they kind of swing wildly. But, I mean, I don't, the problem is, like, in 2016, some of those punches landed. Um, right now, they just kind of seem to be back, back in swinging and nothing really seems to be landing for them at all. Um, let, let me ask you this and, question. And we, we, we talked about it. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Do you think Donald Trump wants to win re-election? Absolutely. Do you think Donald Trump wants to be the president for four more years? I think he wants to win. I think he'll put up with being the president. Okay, fair enough. You know, like, I, I absolutely think he wants to win. And I think that he would put up with being president in the way that he's put up with it, which is basically not really try to do much, but just make it like a pageant, pageant show for the most part. You know, make it all about Twitter, make it all about, like, there are no policy actual things that he really wants to accomplish. So whoever's around him, you know, they'll have Christmas Day because they'll be trying to push their things through. But hopefully, he doesn't try to, hopefully he doesn't try to make it like one of his pageants and uh, walk in on underage girls. <laughs> allegedly 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 but no so i mean do i think he wants to win absolutely do they want to be president eh. but he'll be he'll deal with it to get the win i mean i still to this day every opportunity he gets he talks about his electoral college to win it means that much to him right it means that much to him so but i also think that the kind of person he is and we have we have a map of his life you know he went into Atlantic City, he shit the bed there, right? He went into construction, shit the bed there. You know, that's why basically the only thing he's ever done is marketing, you know, effectively. The Trump name, like he started a mortgage company, that shit the bed. Started Trump University, that shit the bed. You know, like this is who he is. He gets into things, a lot of glitz, a lot of glamour. Probably not even that much glamour, just a lot of glitz. <laughs> um, you know, and he gets into it has no, like, doesn't have the competency to actually do any of this stuff. And he slinks out the back door usually when he realizes it's all about to blow up. So do I think he wants to win? Yes. Do I think he thinks he might not win? Yeah, I do. And I think a part of that leads him to start to act out in the ways that he's been acting out, which is somewhere between anger and kind of being low energy Donald. Like, I mean, this, this, this version of Donald Trump it's definitely low energy than like when he's at his top of his troll game and everything, 
you know, like the, the rally, especially, I mean, the, the 10 minutes spent on like walking and drinking water and stuff. I mean, it just shows that even though he wants to win, I think like what happens when he knows that something's about to not happen and go the way he wants, like with his businesses, he finds a way to kind of get out or just not put his effort and then spin a story about how he didn't really want that thing anyway. Imagine cheering someone for drinking a glass of water with one hand. Imagine doing that. It's where we are in the country. Um, so you had texted me and this morning. That's mo- the thing that kind of drives me crazy about it. That's <laughs> Go what ahead. drives me crazy about it is that, and I should really say about like people that are, and I'm talking about like really like the a specific niche of like hardcore fans that are hardcore that like envision Donald Trump as this like alpha male, and they have these things where they put his face on like bodies of guys with huge muscles with big guns <laughs> being tough. <laughs> And I was like, do you guys actually know the story of Donald Trump? Like, I know we're from New York, right? So we get to see this guy. We get to see him in, like, the public sphere. Like, this is somebody who is, like, so self-conscious about his looks. I mean, to the point that he's self, I mean, he's tanning. He's so worried about his hair. He was so worried about how his weight, about how he looks. Um, He pretended to be his own publicist, so he could call to be, like, he has an amazing sex life. Like, he represents all the qualities that they think actually exist about, like, these liberal celebrities and all this stuff. And I'm like, that's who Donald Trump is. But in their mind, he's, like, this, like, superstar, like, tough guy action hero. And he literally shows them to his face that he isn't. And they just, like, refuse to believe it. So they try to believe, like, the, the simple things, like, drinking a glass of water, walking, telling telling other people to knock him out or, you know, whatever, or that he's got a big dick like he, that he intimated at one point. Like, they, they rally around that. Because, I mean, they, they have to be pretty willfully ignorant to, like, ignore the truth that you're talking about a guy who's, like, who, I mean, he can't get out of bed and can't be seen on camera without his tanner, you know? I mean, come on. Yeah, it, it, is there any instance of Trump being a tough guy, you know, this straight shooter – you know, because they always want to talk about, oh, he's a counterpuncher. You know, he doesn't mind counterpunching down, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's, if a, if a, you know, a Gold Star family member, you know, a, a family from a, a fallen veteran, they attack Donald Trump. He's got no problem trying to attack them back, right? He's got no problem, you know, tweeting at people, you know, being a tough guy online, you know, firing people on his TV show. But whenever we hear about someone being dismissed from the administration, it's never Trump has sat down with them and fired them to their face, right? It's always Barr or Pence or someone else in the chief of staff in the chain of command has taken care of it for Trump. And in fact, when it matters the most in a situation like news that came out today that um, – Uh, according to the New York Times, who I think first had it, and um, intelligence officers, Russia had put bounties on American soldiers to the Taliban, had tried to get the Taliban to kill Americans uh, overseas, you know, with financial payments to help them out. But yet Donald Trump is talking about how how great his relationship is with Vladimir Putin. Um, You know, maybe this would be a great situation to be a tough guy counterpuncher, but this news that apparently that the administration knew back in March and there has still not been any sort of um, public statement about it. 
Yeah, I mean, and so this is kind of where it gets crazy in that supposedly, I think, as of today, um, Kaylee McEnany or whatever her name is, uh, the press secretary, had come out and said that, you know, both um, the vice president and the president weren't briefed about this, right? So that seems to be, which is crazy that they waited 24 hours after the news broke to come out and say that they did, they weren't like, you know, if it was something that they weren't briefed about, why wouldn't you put it out like as soon as that story came out? So I feel like they probably, something in the languages, they're trying to get themselves a little bit because they realize how bad it looks. I mean, the fact is you get, you get a report that a foreign hostile country is willing to pay another hostile enemy to attack actual U.S. soldiers. Like, I mean, that's, that's a scandal. Right? By the way, that, who, that, that's happening. Uh, it, you know, and it's Russia paying the Taliban, who the Taliban almost got an invite to Camp David from Trump, uh, you know, in this, in this uh, administration. Yeah, and I mean, we, I, I shouldn't be shocked about the incompetency. I shouldn't be shocked about the lack of engagement. Like, I'm shocked that nobody on that team or nobody in, like, this, you know, security infrastructure, like, somebody didn't, like, raise this as an alarm. And maybe the fact that it's getting out means this is their way of doing it, meaning this is getting leaked because, like, all Donald Trump and his administration currently seem to care about about is they they've already moved past corona they've moved past the protesters you know they moved past police reform i mean the only thing that seems to matter is re-election right and so, statues like this doesn't gotta, like, gotta, and, gotta and, protect and confederate all, statues and which is all about re-election right like it's all about like hey this might be a good opportunity because people might not like that so let me present my i'm law enforcement president something like this where there actually needs leadership and actually done not because it's going to help your reelection, but because it's the right thing to do or like you actually care about this country or you care about the people fighting for it no response i mean it just highlights like like we gotta at this point like let's not even be shocked when you realize like trump and his administration don't actually care about getting anything done in a, in a constructive way and anything they get done technically it's all about the election narrative. It's all going to be all about November. That's the only thing that matters to him at this point. Absolutely. And what would you, you know, because there's obviously then the, uh, the sycophants that'll turn around and say, this is a anonymous source, so it can't be trusted. What would you say to those people? Well, I mean, just listen to the press secretary who today didn't come out and say that, 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 that you know, that news of that you know this is what russia is actually doing and that they're paying the taliban none of that was actually you know refuted all they refuted was the fact or moderate they just came out to say that president and vice president weren't briefed on this so if it wasn't true they would come out and say it wasn't true so they're coming out and saying well it was true basically but it just they didn't know about it so if their issue is it's the deep state and whatever else. Why, why isn't the press secretary, one that the president has hand-selected, why wouldn't they be coming out there screaming bloody murder and saying it's not true? Yeah, because now you know about it, right? You've been briefed now. Well, I mean, and now, like I said, and this will all be through the election prism, meaning if it, it becomes an issue that gets people's attention, then maybe we'll see a response. 
But if it's something that it's too complex for people to understand, or people will like, you know, kind of move past it, then you won't see a response, you know? And that's, that's how you have to gauge it and like analyze and review everything that's being done by this administration. Just think about it as, do people care? Do they think it'll move the needle? And that's, that's what you'll see either action or inaction on. Uh, before we get out of here, Jason, by the time we do this podcast again, whenever that might be, we will have witnessed, or at least I will have witnessed, one of the most defining events of a generation. Uh, will you, uh, will you, Jason, be watching Hamilton streaming on Disney Plus? Oh, I don't have I don't have Disney Plus, so I won't. Uh, all right, I'll hook I'll hook you up with the password. Will you, Jason, be streaming Disney Plus? I'll probably if you hook me up with the password, I'll definitely be stream Disney Plus. I don't know if I would be streaming Hamilton though. What? What? Why would you not want to I, I watch Hamilton? Because like, I mean, I'm not really a big musical person. Like, I mean, like musical, I want to be live, like there watching it. So I don't want to watch like a TV musical. Uh, like, you already know what I feel about, <laughs> like, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And Let's not get into that, man. Like, <laughs> then why, why would you even ask me? Because you know what I think about it. And, like, and, but he's you know, not, I mean, I obviously he's the star, but he's not the only person. You, you, you think that, um, uh, you know, David Diggs is very talented. You think... Uh, um, I have no idea what that is. But if it's the other ensemble cast, I'm sure they're all, <laughs> are, are all talented. I really don't know anything about Hamilton, by the way. Like, I really don't. I know you're, you're a huge fan of it. I've never really even looked up anything about it. I, I think I've heard the songs basically from, like, you and, like, <laughs> if it gets referenced on TV somewhere. Um, but what I'll say about it is that I get you're trying to say there's an ensemble cast, but it's going to be a hard thing to get past when literally the show is called Hamilton and it is played by Lin-Manuel Miranda doing his... Uh, doing his, I mean, let's call it raps in air quotes or whatever. Well, ju just, just like people that don't watch SNL and say it's crappy, which I would also put you in that category, Jason, I think you should watch it mm -hmm. and then make your decision about it. Now, obviously you will be getting a different experience than if you saw it live in the theater. And that is an upsetting part to me because this is something that I wanted to see in the theater. I was at first very much priced out of it. And then it got to a point where I'm like, I'll get around to seeing it in the theater. I even thought about, um, you know, potentially if this virus didn't hit, taking a day trip, my girlfriend and I, to Chicago, because the flight to Chicago, the matinee tickets, and the flight home would have been less expensive than trying to buy tickets here in New York five months from now. Um, that almost happened. Which, which I'm really in like, then I'm not calling you out on it. But I feel like, you know, I hear you when you're saying it's getting priced out because I know in New York it, it tends to be extremely expensive. And especially uh, when I first, you know, was into it when it was the original cast and it was even more expensive. But I'll admit, Jason, I know where you're getting with this. I'll admit, there was a, this is my own fault, right? I have yeah, no idea. There were opportunities. For... Yeah, there were opportunities to get this done. But I also, I mean, I'll, I'm with you on that. And like, if someone gave me, don't get me wrong, if someone gave me a free ticket and said, hey, go watch Hamilton and with the original cast, or even one the original cast, I'll go watch it. Like I do like live performance, right? But am I going to dedicate time to, while I'm at home to go, let me go on and go watch a musical like that I don't even necessarily, where I think the lead character is probably miscast. 
yeah, I'm probably not going to make that decision to give up my time to do that unless it's like live and it's like a whole different experience altogether. Well, Jason, I'm giving you a Disney Plus password and Great. you need to watch it because this is all we're going to talk about on the next podcast. This will be your homework. We're going to discuss I, the parts I'm that you like the most. The old, I'm going to watch the old animated X-Men cartoons. <laughs> We could talk which, about that. Which you can do too. You know, I might get around to that as well. We've been watching Star Wars on there, uh, you know, getting uh, getting that education going. But um, see that 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 would be something. I guess you could jump on my case to say you should watch that because I've never watched Star Wars. So I actually, uh, and I'm not a huge sci-fi person to begin with. I'm not a Star Wars. Um, you know, I'm not pushing Star Wars on anybody. I, it's not it's not my favorite i can understand how people don't like it you know i and even i after and I, watching it i, I even after watching it yeah I, I, I would like it if i watched it oh okay okay they're, they're okay that may, that's that may be a, a hot take yeah those movies are okay, okay. but hamilton hamilton <laughs> jason you need to, you need to watch hamilton so we can talk about when you cried the most not just when you cried but which part you cried the most your favorite songs and then Seeing him fully in action, your thoughts of uh, Lin Manuel Miranda as a as a rapper and a lyricist, Jason, because he wrote the whole thing and a composer. I've already told you. I think he's an extremely talented writer, show creator, uh, composer. But I've seen him rap in different different settings. Whether it's on this is the shows, setting, Jason. This is the setting to see him in. Yeah, but if you only have one flow, which again, which is I. T- Totally understand why you appreciate that and really <laughs> love that, uh, All right. but All right. I can't. I can't. Right. I I can't deal with that. Like I can't deal with that. That's all I gotta say. So right. yes, but definitely hit me up with that Disney Plus password. I will be binging the shit on stuff. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to get around Hamilton, bro. Jason, you will. You will get the password on the contingency that you will watch Hamilton. Uh, okay. So if you, if you can agree to it, that's fine. And then if you know, come the fourth, because I think it starts streaming on the third. Come the fourth or fifth, you haven't watched it yet. I'm changing my password. <laughs> if you watch okay, it, yeah. if you watch it and we can talk about it, you I will keep the password. You can you can watch all the X-Men you want to watch. <laughs> okay. I think I'll take that deal. I'll put up with that for that. You Fair know, enough. you can always watch on mute. But yeah. Okay, cool. Oh God. Oh. <laughs> you know, and I was I was about to say we were gonna we had recovered from what was gonna be a salty ending. And you know what? We're back here again. Oh, we're salty. always there. We're always there. <laughs> uh, whatever. Now now I gotta go. <laughs> until until next week when we do a full Hamilton breakdown. Um, or uh, the week after that when we're talking um, Star Wars. I'm Tony Skaggs. For Jason. Peace. Peace.